This morning, I would like to sort of address the question, why does God tell us to behave in a certain way? Why does he care whether we do this or do that? Why does he say that uh, this is sin and this is not sin? Why does he care that we don't do sin and do what he tells us to do? Why does he, why is he so interested in this thought? So I'm going to address that. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of really good answers to that question. And, um, you know, you could spend a lifetime working on that. But today I want to look at the real practical aspect of that. And to do that, I want to look at Proverbs. But how many of you hate dandelions? Are trying to rid them of from your, here's the thing. Dandelions are very misunderstood plants. They're actually quite beneficial, and here's how. They have that long taproot that you can't ever get all of it, right? You try and pull it, and it breaks off, and then it comes back. Dandelions, what they do, they have that long taproot that penetrates the hard soil down to the bottom, goes down deep where the other plants, the weaker, the grass, the vegetables, they can't reach, gets all those minerals, brings them up through its roots to the surface, into its leaves. Animals eat it, absorb the nutrients. Plants the withers and fades, and the other plants and animals can access those nutrients that are way down deep. Proverbs is doing this for us. It's simple. It's taking the law. It can be very difficult, hard to understand what's going on. It says, mind the depths of it, bring it to the surface, and just here it is. Simple, easy, straightforward. I love Proverbs. Praise God for Proverbs, right? We are simple people and we need his help. There's two more things I want to tell you about Proverbs before we move on actually get into the text. Proverbs 4.7, flip over there. If we're done in Deuteronomy, you can take your hand out of there if you need to. Proverbs 4.7, it's hilarious. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Simple enough, that makes perfect sense. If you want to get wisdom, get wisdom. What's he saying? What he's saying is, you want to get wisdom, you want to know the wise thing to do, you want to know how the world works, you want to understand it, Go to the source of wisdom and ask him for wisdom. You don't look in yourself. You go to the source and say, hey, I need wisdom. Can I have some? Oh, yeah, sure. I'll give you some. Proverbs 3, 19 through 20 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. What he's saying is he made the world the way he made the world according to who he is and established it the way he wanted to establish it. And so if we want to understand it, we go to him, the maker of it. Hey, how did you make this? How did you uh, set this up so it'll work? When I take this water bottle and I drop it, 10 times out of 10, it's going to fall. He's set up a natural order of the earth. There's natural laws, there's physics, there's things that we can predict because he set it up that way. The moral law is the same. He set up natural moral law so that we can, it can be predictable and understandable. So that we can, when we do this, we can expect this. We wouldn't want, we sometimes we think, I just wish God would perform a miracle all the time. I just wish he would perform more miracles for me. No, you don't. It is God's grace that he doesn't perform miracles all the time. Suppose you say, man, God, just transport me to some unbeliever that I can share the gospel with them. And boom, I'd be gone. But you'd never know, if God just was doing that all the time, you'd never know where you're going to be. You'd be confused all the time. What's God going to do next? And you start having anxiety and fear, not knowing what God is going to do next. But he's given us a 
steady, normal way of operating. Praise the Lord for that. Now, there are exceptions, but today we're going to deal with English 101. We're, we're kids, we're learning, we're learning the language, and we're going to teach our kids I before E. Rule one. Hey, I before E. Just That's good enough for now. Next week, we're going to teach, I'm, I'm going to go through Ecclesiastes, and we're going to learn except after C, and then there's this, and then there's this. Okay, so, but for today, just bear with me for a moment. Set those, yeah, but, hey, but, preacher, uh, what about this thing? Okay, hold on. I want to teach you the normal operating way that God has set up the world. Okay, and we're going to look at that in Proverbs 3. There's two paths that Proverbs presents to us, wisdom and foolishness. There's really only one path, wisdom. Some people have found a way to choose foolishness. Most of us have chosen that. God has set up two paths, and wisdom is, Proverbs is saying, wisdom is the path, the good path that God has established, and you should walk in that path. And if you don't, you take the path of the fool, it leads to death and destruction. The path of wisdom leads to life and godliness, and that is good. We want to look at that today, and we're going to look at five commands that God has given to us to keep us on the path of wisdom. Would you read verses uh, 1 through 10 with me? My son, do not forget my teaching. So this is chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Pray with me. Lord, I need you right now. Um, I'm weak and frail and insufficient for the job. Lord, you are good and your weakness is, my weakness is made strong in you. And so I pray that um, you would speak through me this morning, that your word would be proclaimed truthfully, and that it would affect the way we live our lives us to shape us to be more like you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This first verse, my son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. Sometimes we think of God as like a like a control freak or something, like some sort of uh, some, some, some guy like a power trip or he's like this narcissistic dictator, right? That he's just like, hey, follow these rules. Why? Because I say to follow the rules and that's the way I want it and just do it. This is not God of the Bible. Why? God of the Bible says, why should you do this? Why, do you, why follow me? Why love me? Why, why follow my commandments? For length of days, years of life, and peace, they will add to you. It's good for you. Why should you follow my commandments? Because that's the way I set up the world. And it's good for you to do that. That's the best thing for you. The path of the wise is following in God's commandments. Rejects that. The path of the fool 
in an extreme case might look like a drug addict. Someone who's put drugs as the idol of their life, as their main focus in life, and they've consumed themselves in, in drugs. And what happens to them? Their teeth fall out. The internal organs start to fail. They have anxiety and fear of getting caught by the police or, or family members or whatever. And what ultimately ends up happening? Early death. Their life is not prolonged. Someone who takes care of their body. Someone who follows the Lord in, in His Word. They live in peace. Their, length, their days are lengthened. Again, set aside the exceptions. We'll deal with those next week. I know there's exceptions, and some of you have hardships in your life, and we'll deal with that next week. But for, the, for today, I want you to understand that it is good for you to follow God's commandments. That's how we set it up. Consider the sluggard. My generation... We struggle with this. Millennials, raise your hand. You don't have to. It's okay. Millennials and younger, we, we are tempted by video games. They've drawn us in. Come here. Come sit. Sit on this couch and do nothing for hours on end. This, this is good for you. You need this time. You need to take Saturday off and do nothing. Just sit and play games. It's bad for you. Consider the sluggard. Consider the ant. Work hard. Millennials, go out and get a job. Huh? Work hard. Work your Saturday. It's good for you. It's not just a random command. It's not like it's God's, you know, trying to put his thumb down on you. No, he's saying it's good for you to work. I said, I made you to work, to go out and work hard. Do it. It's good for you. It's good for you. So, following the letter of the law is good. But what is better is to love God's law so that his character is your character. Look at verse 3 and 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Alright, I don't normally do this with the Hebrew, but I love this word so much I'm going to do it anyway. This word here for steadfast love, maybe you have kindness, maybe you have mercy, your translation, a lot of different translations. It's the word hesed. I love this word, this Hebrew word hesed. It's God's covenant love for his people. When he talks about his steadfast love for his people, it's this word. He's saying, have that in you. He said, have my faithfulness. God is faithful. That is who he, he is. He is love. He is faithful. Some, maybe your translation says truth, truthfulness. That's the idea that he says what he's going to do and he does it. He said, have that among you. Have that in your heart. Have that on you. Like, let that define who you are, that I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to be loving. And that comes from Christ renewing us and, and making us new. And that overflows onto others. Consider King David. King David had an enemy. His name was Saul. Saul multiple times tried to kill David. And early on, when, when God removed his spirit from Saul and removed the anointing, put it on David, he sent a, a, a spirit to torment Saul. And when that spirit tormented Saul, he would call for who? He'd call for David. He hated David. David killed Goliath and made him look stupid. He hated David, but when he was in trouble, he said, I want David in my presence playing music for me. And it calmed his spirit. Why? 
David finally had to flee Saul's presence because he was going to kill him, there's other men that saw David fleeing and were drawn to David. Do you know who those men were? They were men who were in distress. They were debted. They were in debt. They were bitter in soul. That's what the Bible of 1 Samuel 22 describes them as. And these men were drawn to David. Why? They wanted to be around David. Why? Because David's a, God, a man after God's own heart. Right? David just exuded God's love, his faithfulness. It was overflowed, and people wanted to be around him. That should be us. Our love for Christ should overflow and draw others to us. When we say, hey, I'll, I'll be there uh, on Saturday. You know, I'll be there on Saturday. No problem, I'll help you move. Saturday rolls around, and you call up, hey, uh, yeah, about that. Um, so my hair was really messy this morning, so I can't help you move. i got to wash it. Flaky, we're unreliable, we're not, we're not faithful, we're not trustworthy, we're not loving. And when we put God's character in our heart through His Son, Jesus Christ, through faith, others are drawn to us. It says, look, we'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Why should we have God's character? Because it's good for you. It's good for you. But you might think, you know, yeah, that's good most of the time, but there's situations where it may not be quite as advantageous for me to act like God. Um, you know, what if we can get a good deal if we're just a little bit deceptive? Uh, or we can maybe just kind of manipulate something for our gain. Maybe then I don't really have to have the character of God. Well, let's consider verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. This is a common verse. And so when we get to these common verses, that we all, maybe half of you have this memorized, I would, I would guess, or at least have parts of it memorized. Or you would say, oh yeah, I remember that verse. When we get to a verse like this, we've got to slow down and really consider it, because we have a tendency to just gloss it over. So, oh yeah, I know that one. So let's slow down for just a minute and think about this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This isn't like Valentine's Day emotional love. It's more than that. This is this is this word means like your intellect, your emotion, your your will, your choosing, everything that goes into making a choice. That is your your heart, your inner man. Right? So with everything you make a decision with, trust in the Lord. Now, here's where we really start to push against the culture, okay? So we have Greek philosophy, we have Eastern religions, Renaissance, postmodernism, post postmodernism, you know, whatever, whatever the, the, the philosophical theory of the day is, comes from man, thinking it through, considering his life, experiences, etc., and saying, here's, here's really the meaning of life. And then so we have something come out like, okay, the material world is nothing. The material world doesn't matter. It's nothing. It's all about the spiritual world. And then it's, no, 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 no. The next generation comes out and says, no, no, no. The material world uh, is everything. Now, that didn't work out. The material world is everything. So let's just indulge our body. Let's go for it. So that didn't work out. So uh, what about, uh, oh, just become one with the universe. 
We just become one with the universe and synergize. That will explain everything. Then we come to our American culture. Science is everything. Science will explain the world to us. If we just do enough tests, if we have enough time, we put enough money and effort at it, we just think hard enough about the world, we will figure it out. The problem is these all end up with failure at the end. We try them, we go this way, we try this philosophy or this thought, and it doesn't work. There's some failure, and so we say, okay, that didn't work. Let's try going over here. We try this idea, and that has a failure in it. It mostly sounds good, and then, oh, this, that doesn't quite work. And so we go back, and we meander back and forth as a people, as, as human beings, as cultures, we go back and forth trying to find the meaning of life, the purpose of life, something like this. And we find these dead ends and we keep... But if we trust in the Lord with all our heart, we don't lean on our own understanding, our own ability to figure it out. Instead, we acknowledge Him in everything. In a straight path. Straight path. We know what our purpose is. We know what we're supposed to do. We know who we are. And everybody else around us is changing. And we know, because of the Lord, we know the straight path. It says to acknowledge Him in everything. It's kind of like the world, to me, seems like like somebody, a blind guy leading a blind guy in a boat down a river, and he's just saying, hey, this is really nice. Here's those bo- it's so pretty here. I just trust me. It's going great. Little do they know, they're on the Niagara River. Do you know where the Niagara River ends? It's a big waterfall. They're going to their pending doom, and they have no idea. And they're going, the river is bending this way and that way. And, and the Lord is sitting there yelling out with wisdom, stop, don't go that way. It's bad for you. The end is destruction. Don't go there. Look, come here. Come here. He's inviting everybody to come to wisdom. He says, acknowledge him in all our ways. People say, well, I like to keep my politics and my religion separate. I don't mix those two things up. My goodness. Do you not... You must not believe in your religion then. If you believe the word of God, it absolutely affects your politics. It affects everything. It affects your money. It affects your work. It affects your child raising. It affects ev- don't teach don't teach my kids, you know, I don't want to teach them my religion. I don't want them to figure it out for themselves. You want them to go to hell? Are you out of your mind? No. In all your ways, everything you do. Acknowledge the Lord, and He will make your path straight. Otherwise, you're heading down the Niagara River. What are His ways? His ways are steadfast love, faithfulness, keeping His commandments. You stay on these ways, and you stay in the path of wisdom. You don't, you fall into the path of foolishness. Why do we want to trust in the Lord? Why do we trust God with our whole heart? Because it's good for you. It's good for you. The world says that you can't trust anyone but yourself. God says you can't even trust yourself. Look at verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. You will be 
healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Verse 5 and 6 kind of dealt with sort of knowing, choosing, knowing, choosing the right thing to do. Verse 7 is really starting to look at the action, actually doing the right thing. Uh, I have a one-year-old, she's almost two, and uh, my wife bakes these cookies, they're beautiful chocolate chip cookies that come hot out of the oven, puts them on the table, and my two-year-old looks at the cookies, starts making her way to the cookies, and I say, Abigail, stop, come back over here, and she does this, she gives me the look, she kind of goes, and then she looks back at the cookies, and she looks back at me. I said, Abigail, come here. Don't go over there. And she's sitting there thinking in her mind two things. One, does Daddy really have my best interest in mind? Because those cookies look really good, and he's telling me no. And the second thing, will he do anything if I disobey? I said, what? I will do something. But we give that look to God, don't we? God says, don't do that. It's bad for you. Do this. And we look at God and go, yep, but that looks really good. I think I might try it out just to see. Adam and Eve did this, yeah? Very beginning, mankind. God says, hey, eat whatever you want. Don't eat this fruit. It's bad for you. surface. It presents itself as something comparable to what God is offering. Sometimes it tries to compare itself as something better than what God is offering. But in the end is the path of the fool. Don't be a fool and take the path of sin. It looks good. And it leads to death. Fortunately, God has given us a tool for staying on the path of wisdom. Look down at your Bibles. Verse 7. You know, wise in your own eyes. Okay. How do we do that? Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. This is a complicated phrase. I'll spend weeks preaching on this. And maybe one day I'll get that opportunity. But for today, I want to say that it's more than just respect. Personally, I've, I've said and I've taught that fear of the Lord is just it's just respect. It's just a you know respectful way of looking at God. It's more than that. It's much more than that. Fear of the Lord is fear. God has the power of life and death in his hands. That should inspire fear in every one of us. And that's a good thing. When you see see God come into someone's presence, you look at Isaiah, trembles in fear. Remember Isaiah 6? You look at the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, John, what, I mean, 
those guys fall on their face. They're fearful. God is terrified of God. This is good. What it does is interesting. For those that believe, the fear of the Lord draws you to Him. Which is weird. We're drawn to the thing we're afraid of. When does that ever happen? When I see a spider, I'm not drawn to it. I am afraid of spiders, and I run from them. Sorry, I'm a giant, and they're tiny, but I still run. But when I come into the presence of God, I'm drawn to Him because He loves me. The perfect love casts out fear. Isaiah 26 talks about the being hidden in Christ, being hidden, being hidden in Yahweh. As he unleashes his power on the unrighteous. So this is this paradox of fear. For those who are perishing, they flee. They run away. They hide and cower because they know their impending doom is coming. And they start by saying God doesn't even exist. The Bible talks about this. God doesn't even exist. There is no fear of God in the foolish. The foolish say there is no God. The wise fear God, acknowledge His Lordship, and draw near. Exodus twenty twenty is another. It could be in Proverbs. It's kind of weird like that. It says, "Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him." may be before you, that you may not sin. The fear of God is a tool that God has given to us to keep us from sin. We know, we understand that God is able to judge, is going to judge sin. And we don't want any part of that judgment. We stay far from it because we know the power of the Lord. And it draws us close to Him because He's our Savior. We had no hope. We had no chance. We were all doomed, and rightfully so, until the Lord Jesus came and died. Lived a perfect life, which we could not do. Died a death that he didn't deserve, that we deserved. Rose again, sent to the Father, and he just says, Hey, you believe in me? Put your trust and your faith in me? You get to come to the Father. Unbelievable. The fear of the Lord should inspire this dread of our impending doom. And yet, Jesus says, hey, because of me, you get to come to the Father without fear of your death, which should happen instantaneously. But because of the Lord Jesus Christ, it will not happen for those who believe, but to those who do not believe that refuse to acknowledge God as Savior and continue down the path of the fool, the end is destruction, and justifiably so. There's one more thing I don't want to miss about the fear of the Lord. It's legalism is not a cheat code around. You guys ever read Pilgrim's Progress? If you haven't, go read it tonight. 
It's that good. It'll take you more than one night, but it's that good. There's two characters in this book. Formalist and hypocrisy. And they scale the wall to get on the way to life. They don't go through the gate as they're supposed to. They don't go through the wicked gate. They scale the wall. And guess what? They don't persevere. If you don't start with the fear of the Lord as your beginning of wisdom, you will not survive. The irony of the fear of the Lord is that that fear is healing to those who believe. Look at that verse. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Fear will be healing to you. Normally, fear causes anxiety and trouble and emotional breakdown. This fear, the fear of the Lord, brings peace and comfort. To the fool, it's dread and destruction. One day they will face the Lord and know that he is real. But to the wise, it's a cold drink of water after a long, hot hike. Be a fool in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Why? Because it's good for you. It's the way God designed it. It's one thing to say, I fear the Lord. But it's another thing, when the rubber meets the road, where will you stand? Look at verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is sort of the put your money where your mouth is kind of verse. It, it runs contrary to typical wisdom. Uh, if you go and ask a, a secular financial counselor, and say, hey, what do I do with my money? They're going to tell you, well, hey, your first uh, 10%, put that into an investment account for retirement so you'd be secure when you're older. Uh, and then you got to pay the, these, all these necessary bills, and then you can have some luxury. And then if at the end you still have something left over, you know, give that to, uh, to, a non, you know, to like a nonprofit. Make sure that they're tax deductible so you can get that benefit. You know, so, but if they're not, then you find somebody you know, we can get that tax benefit. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. I want you to give me your first and your best so that you don't rely on your money to bail you out. It's bad for you to rely on your money. And so to do, keep you from doing that, I want you to give me your best and your first first. This is good for you. God's done some funny math in my life. I've tried to be faithful and generous. It seems like I can't out I can't outgive God. I mean, the health and wealth gospel has done a lot of damage to this verse, but let's read the verse for what it says. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. Be generous. Give. Give to God. Give to what He's doing. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. When we give out of the generosity and the love for Christ to his work, he promises to take care of everything we need and to do it in an abundance that our, our vats overflow. Look, this isn't some health and wealth gospel. We're going to deal with them next week, okay? There's exceptions, right? And there's people who try to manipulate God to their advantage. And we're going to deal with them next week. That's not what we're talking about. Let's put, don't put the cart before the horse, 
honor the Lord first and don't worry about your wealth. Hey, don't worry about getting rich. For most of us, it's probably bad for us anyway to be rich. We wouldn't know what to do with it. It would corrupt us. That aside, don't even worry about that money. Be generous with everything you have. Give. And God is going to take care of you. It's a simple truth. It's easy. This is Proverbs. It's easy. Don't complicate it. Don't try and manipulate God. Trust Him. Fear Him. Why? Why do we give our first and best to God? Because it's good for us. No, it doesn't make sense. Give away your first bit of money. That doesn't make any sense. It's good for you. It's good for you. It's good for you to obey God. It's good for you to be like God. It's good for you to trust God. It's good for you to fear God. It's good for you to give to God. obedience, love, trust, fear, and action. Secondly, prosperity. Don't put prosperity first. Put trust in God first. Let Him care, take care of the prosperity. God is good, and He wants what's good for us. Put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Become a child of His. He can prosper you. Get off the path of the fool. As Christians, sometimes we are tempted to walk on the path of the fool. We look over and we say, that's tempting. That looks good. That looks better than what God's offering me. No. Fear the Lord. Stay away from evil. Stay on the path of wisdom because it's good for you. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. Let's pray. Jesus, you're too kind to us. We don't deserve it done nothing for it. Matter of fact, we've done everything we can to stay away from you, to, to walk in the path of the fool. By your grace, your sovereignty, you offered us to be children of God, to be come to the face of the Father without fear, because of fear. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone out here who has not put their faith in your Son, your Holy Spirit would work on their heart to change them, to bring them to you. Lord, for us to put their faith in you, trust you for eternal life, that we'd also trust you in the day to day. In all our ways, that you would help us to acknowledge you and walk with you throughout this week. In Jesus' name.